0: Hi, this is Varun Haran, Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group in Asia. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Christopher Novak, who is the Director and Co-Founder of Verizon's Investigative Response Unit and also the Chief Author of the Data Breach Investigation Report. Chris is going to be sharing some top-of-mind issues in cybersecurity and his prediction for what is to be expected in the year 2017. Hello, Chris. Thank you for speaking with me today. Chris you are the co-founder of the investigative response unit at Verizon so from when you began the unit to where the industry and the landscape are today what is the evolution that you've seen and how different is the picture?
1: Oh wow, yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, when I started doing investigations a long time ago, the breaches were essentially a manual effort by the the threat actor. When a hacker wanted to come in and cause harm, they needed to execute a command. They needed to, you know, I don't know if folks remember the old days of the command line, but they would usually open up a command line editor or a command line tool and they would type in commands and they would execute those commands. They'd have to manually search for data, look at the data. When they found data they wanted, they'd have to zip it up then manually FTP it out every single step of the process was pretty much manual nowadays, with the prevalence and the commonality and the sophistication of the malware that we have, so much of that has become so much easier. So in the old days where a threat actor group might be able to be compromising a couple, say two, three, maybe even four victims at the same time, now that same threat actor might be in two, three, four hundred victims at the same time, just purely because they just really need to point their scanning tool and their exploit kit at a range of IP addresses, and if they find four hundred that are vulnerable, the, the scanning tool the exploit kit will self-install itself and then start remoting back and and, and exfiltrating the data and so the reality of it is though the majority of the work that a lot of the actors have to do today is coming up with the tools coming up with the technique to discover new victims and then making sure that they have a repository to collect and accept all the exfiltrated data and now granted this is just kind of one end of the spectrum obviously you also see things like your nation state and espionage kind of attacks which are generally much more resource intensive on the part of the threat actor, and that's a, that's a whole nother world that we also investigate. But I think that's probably some of the biggest changes that we've seen, because when you go back to the early days of breaches, you know, I, I sometimes joke with people and say that, you know, the first breaches that people experienced was a, a defacement of their website, right? Someone would change their web page to say some nasty message or put up some nasty picture. And and you go to an IT security person now and say, what would you rather, have someone deface your website or steal all your data? And, and people almost wish for the old days of breaches and, and incidents because it was quite simply just a, oh, we'll just take the website down, replace it with the backup, and we're up and running again. Now there's notification and disclosures, there's all sorts of litigation that can come out of it. The, the whole landscape has changed both for the threat actor and, and for the victims as well as for ourselves in terms of the, the amount of effort that actually goes into an incident response type activity.
0: You're also a prominent expert in the forensics and response space and, you know, uh, you've assisted a lot of uh, agencies and corporations in computer uh, forensics, fraud investigations. From a law enforcement and a White Hat researcher perspective, how has the forensics domain within security changed and what are some challenges they are facing in the face of new and evolving attacks like the ones you mentioned?
1: So I'd say probably the biggest challenges that we face right now is some of the evolution that we've seen in the way that the threat actors are operating. So for example, uh, I described the, the sophistication and the automation of their tools. The newer kind of phenomenon that we also see now is their activity is largely memory resident, so they will inject their tools directly into a running process and into memory such that it leaves zero footprint on the disk. And so organizations that relied heavily on disk-based forensics, in fact, a lot of your, your traditional IR firms out there probably still today rely heavily on taking forensic disk images. The reality of it is if you were to go into an environment that was compromised in this manner and you took disk images, you'd walk away and you'd tell the organization they had no breach. The reality of it is they might have a very serious breach. It may just all be memory resident. So those are all things that we've had to stay on top of. And I mean, to be honest, I've got one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world, constantly doing research into things like this. So we're always kind of scouring the dark net and the deep web to try and see what is it that the threat actors might be posturing or planning to do next so that it gives us that ability to stay one step ahead. I think threat intelligence and, and related research is really critical and also a key different that gives us kind of an advantage over a lot of the threat actors out there.
0: Arguably, it's also more efficient now, right? What with uh, analytics, what with automation, what with the correlational engines that are available today. So it must have also made your job easier to some extent,
1: right? That's true. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those interesting challenges. So we have, we definitely have more and better tools than we had before, and there's more automation, um, artificial intelligence and things like that than before. At the same time, though, the other challenge that we see is there's also more data than before. So in the old days of doing a forensic investigation, if we walked away with a gigabyte of evidence, that was a lot. Today, if we walk away with a terabyte of evidence, that's a little. Um, so just to kind of put things in perspective. And so to some degree, the tools have helped to make certain things easier, especially those things that are kind of repeatable analysis items, um, but there are definitely still some things that, that still presents challenges today just in terms of volume of data, uh, as well as we still continue to see a lot of large organizations being breached, and what we'll find is that if a threat actor is doing a lot of lateral movement or pivoting in the environment, we may need to collect a lot more data than we traditionally have had before, or part of the challenge may may also be that organizations have a lot more data, which is a good Challenge to have to, to deal with, um, but it means that you know in in yesteryear you know we were lucky if organizations had firewall logs. Now we're we're finally seeing organizations don't just have firewall logs, but they have IDS logs, DNS logs, and proxy logs, which is great. It significantly helps the investigative process and gives us kind of more touch points of evidence. Uh, but it means that there's that much more data that we need to um, consume and correlate.
0: You know, as a thought leader in this space, what gives you the most concern today from among the challenges faced by the community? You know, globally, we've seen that while security practices are maturing, they're not evolving anywhere near as quickly as the sophistication on the attacker side. So what do you suggest can be done to bring some balance to this equation?
1: Excellent question. So I would say a key thing, a very fundamental thing is information sharing. And I know it sounds maybe simple or obvious, but we see a lot of organizations either not doing it or struggling to understand you know, what to do or what it means. And the key point that I make there is when we look back on all of our statistical data from all these breaches over the course of the last decade or more, there's a key thing that we talk about in our research. And and one of those is called the detection deficit. And that's kind of the contrast timeline of how fast threat actors are able to get into their victim compared to how long it takes the victim to even discover the fact they've had a breach. And one of the reasons why the picture in the report shows such kind of a divergent line between those two is largely because the threat actors are doing a very good job of collaborating and working together. They've got a tremendous amount of resources that they can bring there via things like various darknet or deep web sites where they will buy and trade and sell things like malware and X- kits, And obviously, I'm not asking folks to go out there and buy, sell, and trade malware kits, but what I am asking folks to do is get out there and do their research, get plugged into a, a partner or a third party that they can leverage for threat intelligence. Most organizations don't have the time, the resources, or the budget to do a proper threat intelligence program or an effective one internally, but there's a tremendous number of vendors out there that do provide those kind of services, and the key thing to take away from that is It it should give you the knowledge and the comfort. Essentially, you know what the bad guys are doing right now, where they're doing it, and what they're planning to do next, and you can feel more comfortable that your security controls are in place and effective at preventing, detecting, and responding to that. And then kind of a secondary piece to that, the other thing I would also say is the importance of educating the end user population and the customer populations because so much of what we find is actually seen or witnessed by somebody within the organization but in many cases they don't necessarily react or report it to IT security and so it goes undiscovered in many cases for for months or even years when in reality someone probably saw some kind of lead indicator of it. So that's hugely important. And then the other thing that I would also mention is having an incident response plan and testing it. Uh, it this is something where so often we get into an organization that has had a breach and we're trying to help them out only to find out that they just never really planned for this kind of event. You know, and I say it's much much like you know the fire drills that we all do in our office, we do it not because we want a fire to happen. We do it so that we're all comfortably prepared for when a fire happens. We know we can get out. We know where the exits are. Everybody knows how to account for everybody else. We know where the safe meeting points are, and so on. And what we strongly recommend is people do that same kind of practicing with respect to incident response, because it's a similar kind of event. It's just not generally a physical event; it's a cyber event. And so you know, do your cyber fire drills.
0: Chris, it was my pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time. That was Chris Novak, Director of Investigative Response at Verizon Enterprise Solutions. For ISMG in Asia, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.